Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. You already know who it is. It's your boy, Aaron Deliosa, and this is An Immigrant's Life. If you want to keep in touch with us, you can follow us on our social media account. Our handle is at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. You can also message us there, or you can also message us at our email address, and that is animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. If you or someone you know wants to come on the podcast and tell their story, or maybe you just want to chit-chat, I'm ready, I'm willing, let's get talking. So New Year have started. I hope you're sticking with your goal. I know it's hard, but let's keep the momentum going. I'm doing great with my goals. I want to do a checkup on them. I guess at the end of the month, I will do it. But so far, so good. I'm sticking with them, and I hope you are as well. Anyways, that's enough for the personal update. We can talk about it more later on, but right now... Let's talk about this week's episode. In this week's episode, our special guests take us through the challenges of growing up with illegal immigrant parents, navigating the path to legal immigration. Tune in as he candidly shares the hurdles of online dating as an Asian man, steering clear of stereotypes, and reflects on how BET comic view shaped his stand-up journey. Brace yourself for insights into the impact of social media on comedy and a sneak peek into our guest's next evolution in stand-up. Get ready for a blend of laughter, introspection, and compelling storytelling. I love this episode, and I'm sure you will also. So, let's get to the point. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa, dalawa, tatlo. Today's guest is a stand-up comedian that used to tell jokes in front of middle school kids, but now headlines comedy festivals. Everyone, please welcome Wilfred Padua. Hey, thank you. Hey, man, thank you so much for accepting my invitation. I didn't even know you're going to say yes. I was like, you know, I'm going to shoot my shot. I, I mean, look, I'm not that important. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, of, hey, before he makes Rogan, I want him to come on my podcast first. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rogan's actually uh, my seven thirty appointment. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Imagine you're in New York right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you have to fly. Like I don't know what kind of plane you're gonna use, but you gotta fly, dude. Yeah, he does. Uh, private jet people in. He does, but yeah. private jet six. It's six thirty three right now. It, you're not making it. Yeah, if I made the. Yeah, that's true. I heard that um, there's a new one that is supposed to get from like New York to to London in two hours, or maybe in an hour and a half. It's faster than the Concord was. I was gonna say Concord, like uh, you know, it's exploded, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's faster than the Concord, and it also uh, like is supposed. You're not supposed to feel the sonic boom. How? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I haven't heard this one, but but to I don't be know honest, anything about science. Oh, to be <laughs> yo, you and me, man. I, I'm like the dumb Asian with math. Oh, you're not good at math. Oh, I'm terrible with math, man. I, I'm good at it. Like I'm good at procedural things. Like I know mm. how to like 
go through the proper order to get through things. So I can handle my own in math. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm good at like, like, I don't know, like formulas and stuff, but I'm not good in like, I don't know, geometry. Oh, or, geometry. I fucking rock geometry. You do? Yeah. But uh, once I got to um, trigonometry, and calculus bro i was like this is too much it's <laughs> like, too much math trigonometry was the only only subject i ever failed ever really yeah bro i'm like when they talking about cosine and whatever else I'm yeah. Like, yeah i gotta go man the whole reason i mean i i after i took business calculus in college mm. i was like getting a's throughout college and I didn't get a 3.5 because of business calculus. I got a C minus, could not figure it out. I went to the tutor every day and I was like, what is happening? <laughs> is it is it you cannot understand it or it's just it's for, too much for you? I think I don't have enough uh, like foundational information to jump because it is a language that I don't understand at all. Um, and it feels like everyone, the people at the math center at my college were obviously good at math. They were smart at math and therefore got it without having to explain it to anyone. So like, uh, like I always think the people that are the worst educators are the, uh, are the people that were good in school. <laughs> If yes. you're good in school, then you don't understand how hard it can be. If you're bad in school, then you then you understand where a person could be struggling with this. Yeah, you know what? That makes sense. Because you know in basketball, most of the coaches are like bad players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Because they know how to be good, but they cannot apply it. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? But before we get into more gossips and what else... If you want to promote anything, go ahead. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the main thing I want to promote is my YouTube channel, which has nothing on it right now. That is the, the current issue. So you're going to be subscribing for no reason currently. <laughs> um, but it's just my it's at Wilfred Padua um, on YouTube. Um, I've got a, the don't tell taping that uh, is out. Check that out. Uh, it's, uh, some of my best work. Um, unfortunately some of my best work <laughs> and, uh, and, um, I, the YouTube channel subscription is actually because I'm going to have a podcast coming in January about, uh, um, Asian history. Oh, sweet. Is it going to be solo or is it going to be with someone? It's going to be with my buddy, Jeff, white mm. guy, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> uh, but he, uh, he's a, you know, we've done, we podcasted before and uh tried other renditions of a podcast and um we had a history podcast going on for a little bit and this one is a little it's going to be more specifically tailored towards asian history and it's going to be much more in detail about like certain stories uh from figures of the past so is, is it going to be like asian american or is just like all over the world asian all over the world asian so it's going to be like it's going to be like history. It'll, it could look at like, you know, the CIA, but it's like, how did this affect Asia? Like mm. one of the things that I know, uh, and I want to do an episode on is that, um, on the day of Pearl Harbor, hmm. 
Japan bombed Manila and uh, what's the other U.S. owned territory? Hawaii. Over- no, the uh, in uh, Guam. Guam. Yeah. So they bombed Manila and Guam mm. at a higher rate than they did because I think there's only like three thousand. No, maybe there's there weren't that many deaths in Pearl Harbor itself, but there were way more deaths in Manila, and the purpose was to get Manila as a naval base and the whole reason they bombed Hawaii was because it was the closest place where the US was set up mm. so they're like well let's just let's just get this out of the way and then we can take manila yeah so that's right on on yeah. th- on, on that uh, if you allow me actually manila it was the worst bombed city during world war 2 next to warsaw Oh really? Yeah, and no one wow. talks about that because who cares about these brown people across I know. the Pacific? Dude, mm-hmm. I've been and I also did like some research about like the Spanish American War and like mm-hmm. how and then because I didn't I honestly didn't know who had was in charge of the Philippines throughout all the time. Mm-hmm. Like I knew Spain was involved, and then I thought for some reason I thought the Chinese had like China had it, but they never did. No, it just went Spain to America. Yeah. Um, Spain, America, Duterte. <laughs> <laughs> no, Japan first. Japan yeah. and then Duterte. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Japan. No, Japan, uh, Japan. Didn't Japan lose? Yeah, they lost to to the states when they came back because of General oh, MacArthur. during World War Two, right? Yeah, J- MacArthur was like, "I'll be back. I'm gonna save those white dudes first because they're more important than you, brown people." Yeah. So yeah. And then they came back and like, "Hey, so, he's here." Are you from the Philippines? Yes, sir. I was born there, raised, born, grew up. I was a man when I moved to Canada. Oh, really? Well, I like to how, think I'm a man. <laughs> how old are you? I'm 41. Okay. And how old were you when you moved? 20. 20, 20, 20. 21. That's kind of a man. I mean, that's not you like, <laughs> I mean, I'm 37 and I know that like, I think a man is like really like 28. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, you know that they say like, your brain will be only fully developed when uh, when you're 25. Oh yeah, yeah. That's why yeah. you're like not actually supposed to smoke marijuana or whatever until 25. And how how old were you when you first smoked marijuana? 16. <laughs> it didn't work the first three times, and then really? uh, and then the the time that it did work, I was so I like threw up. Uh, mm. and like had to sit still for like hours because I I could not control myself. Oh my dude, the first time I smoked was like I'm an extremist. Like it's either I'm gonna smoke or not smoke, mm-hmm. right? I smoke a whole stick, right? This is in the Philippines, by the way, which I don't know what they lace that thing with, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's not like here, you know how they they smoke the buds in the Philippines. They smoke the whole thing. Oh yeah, yeah. My dad uh, said that he used to smoke. Like the leaves, but yes. the leaves aren't as potent as the buds. Bro, listen, we smoke everything. We don't have money. We figure it out. <laughs> you smoke the hemp ropes? No, because <laughs> I didn't know this till like a friend of mine was growing it like a few years ago before they illegalized it here. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, this is, I said, yo, this is a lot. And like, no, there's not much. Like, like you know, they take out the buds, right? Like, What? Like bro, we smoke uh. the whole thing. Even the like, even the branches and everything. Sometimes it's yeah. popping out, you know. 
But uh, yeah, I smoked, I think, twice or three times in the Philippines. I loved the first time, and the rest was like, I don't like this. And then yeah. here, I smoked, and it was like, I, same with you. Like, I was dizzy. I was, I vomited. I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah, no, I'm going to stick with drinking. Yeah, I don't, well, I turn red when I drink, and now I don't mm. drink uh, at all anymore because uh, mm. I'm on antidepressants. Mm. So, um, but I will smoke weed every once in a while. Uh, but it's mostly to just like end the night. It's <laughs> not to be social at all. It's not, it's like, I've had a day. Let's just take one hit. We'll go to bed. Mm. Speaking of depressing, I know you're originally from Seattle. Yeah, that's a great transition. <laughs> <laughs> how did you, how did your family end up in uh, Seattle? You know, knowing your Filipinos. They moved um, my uncle was in the Navy. Uh, mm. the u.s navy and then he got stationed in um somewhere outside of seattle I've, i'm whidbey island yeah <laughs> whidbey island. i don't know why i'm uh it's it's not important and i don't yeah. know i just needed to prove to myself that i knew the <laughs> the place but it's uh they have a naval base there so he got stationed there mm. and then my uh, uh my mom's parents uh came uh and everyone had gotten settled in seattle then my my dad actually my parents came later uh in 82 they wanted to they were leaving because uh it was you know uh marcos prime, yeah prime marcos time mm -hmm. um if only they had waited two years then they would have been <laughs> fine <laughs> and then um, they will be poor more <laughs> well, my parents were actually doing well there yeah, that, and then they'll be more poor because of the Corazon Aquino came in and just like messed up everything. Oh, really? So yeah. that, that I don't know. I just know that people didn't like Marcos, but also a lot of people liked Marcos. Yep, that's why like, the, the son is uh, the president now. Yeah, and then uh, uh, he came to New York, I want to say like last year, and people were like outside of, and uh, Jersey City is like a big Filipino area they're like holding up signs like welcoming him and i was like i thought we didn't like him i don't know <laughs> i've heard bad things but i haven't heard all of it so well it's, you know propaganda and fake news that oh out. sure yeah, yeah. yeah and it's also easy to manipulate uh poor people a hundred percent yeah they're like they always have this belief like oh if we vote these people if this person we will be rich like how that I'm not good in math, but I'm pretty sure that doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so my parents left because of Marcos, uh, w came to Seattle to try to find jobs. My dad couldn't find a job. My dad and my uncle uh, went down the West Coast, uh, like tried to find a job, went oh, all the got all the way to Dallas, Texas. That uh, far? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. And then, uh, and that's where they settled for a few years um, in Texas. And then that's where I was born. And then in 89, we moved to Seattle. Okay. How old were you then? Three. You were three. About I, to turn three. It was like right before I turned three. Wow, man. That's great. In your YouTube video, I don't know, is it a special? Would you call it a special? I think it's just a little taping. I don't know what they call it. Some people call it a special, but I, it's only 10 minutes. Yeah, I was so disappointed. I'm like, why 15 minutes? I want more. 
Well, thank you. Um, but yeah, it's just 10 minutes, just a little sampler. And then eventually I'm going to release something bigger. Mm, I can't wait, man. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. But in that video that you have, whatever, let's, let's say special. Yeah. You mentioned your parents were illegal immigrants. Is that true or? It is true. They were. Mm. Um, and it uh, is actually a, a, that joke existing is actually a like problematic thing in my family because uh one of my brothers doesn't think that i should be saying that because he thinks i'm being disrespectful which like it's a joke if you think i'm being disrespectful you don't understand me and how i communicate with people um but uh he also was like because everyone was illegal except for me and my little sister Mm. and so he thinks it's not my story to tell which like it is i also I would have lost my family if something happened, you know, and that, and I also like felt left out because everyone was like trying to solve the same problem. And I wasn't uh, even allowed to in the room when they were talking about it. Really? Yeah. I was like sent to the, uh, I remember being in my uh, grandparents house and they're like, go downstairs and watch a movie. Uh, cause, and then upstairs, I knew that like my cousin was crying cause he was worried about like, everyone was scared about something and I have no idea what they were scared about specifically. Mm. How old were you then? I gotta say I was like seven or eight. Mm. And when did you find out that they're illegal? Oh, early. I, I, I knew it. The it was like a you know a, a background thing in the uh, our family the whole time, but it didn't really seem to it didn't hold any weight until I was like maybe in high school. Mm, why? Because I I just didn't know what it meant. I didn't understand that like you know that uh, there's I could lose my family. Uh, um, I just like and I didn't know that like you know. I had all these different, I mean, I was told that I had all these privileges that I, that they didn't have. I just never really understood them. Um, and I think also to be fair, my family didn't quite understand what they could do. Um, so they were, there's a lot of things like, you know, my, my brother got a job before everything got, became digitized. Um, and they, he got that job and he had to stay there, uh, within that company because he couldn't apply for a new job. Hmm. He didn't have a social security number that was going to work, you know? Yeah. That's one issue with a lot of immigrants is they don't really, because they don't trust people as much that they don't, they don't trust authorities that didn't go to lawyers or anything. They just mm-hmm. go to like, oh, did you know Wilfred knows that a cousin did this and did that to become a, a legal uh, immigrant? I'm like, yeah, but did you talk to a lawyer? Because he's not yeah. a lawyer. And also my my parents got stiffed. Like they gave some dude like $5,000. He did nothing with it. <sighs> just uh, And so my parents didn't want to like go through that again yeah um and it took a long long time i mean they applied for their citizenship in 1975 Mm -hmm. um and it wasn't until like 2001 i think holy garbage yeah that long it was so long that my oldest two oldest brothers uh were no longer considered their children (laughs) so they had to 
get naturalized later through their marriages. Oh my god. So but when you apply and you're in the states, don't like the government knows like you're staying illegally? So they applied in uh the Philippines. Okay. And then they came here on they in the 80s they got a visitor's visa. Yes, yeah, how um, And that's what that's where they came in on and then they stayed. DNT baby. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. When they were raising you, you mentioned there's a little bit of like friction between you and the family because you're legal, you're an American and they're not American. But through the high school and further on, did it continue that friction? You know, it's I mean, there's friction in the family because it, it's a family. Uh and also uh there's friction because there's you know, they're immigrants. They have a different understanding of, they grew up in a different world. My parents had a much more difficult upbringing in that, like, um, they don't, I don't think that my parents were raised on like, you know, uh, the idea of developing a full person, like having this person develop its, his or her own personality to like, I don't know, become a functioning adult or whatever. They were raised on this is, uh, they're Catholic. This is what you're supposed to do. This is how you get in through those pearly gates. Uh, <laughs> so just behave this way. So there's a lot of, so there was that friction. Um, but the friction between me being natural, like American citizen and them not, like it uh, wasn't something that was as prevalent as like just, personality things mm -hmm. that's why they send you to a catholic boy school yeah yeah i mean that's well my whole family uh went to an all boy school mm. how yeah. was that experience because i went to a catholic school but it's uh -huh. uh, co-ed not like only boys i loved it mm. Truly, i don't know if you know that in my in the the uh don't tell special i'm wearing the the sweatshirt from my oh school. nice i was like i this is my only because on tv you're not allowed to wear logos but this was for youtube and i was like this is the only time that i get to rep my high school on this platform so i uh i was like let's do it let's wear the sweatshirt um, Fascinating. It still fits you well i bought a new one <laughs> <laughs> i bought a new one um but yeah i loved it it's um I think my sense of humor was developed there, like uh, the the silliness that I want to I try to approach life with was developed there. There's just a, a brotherhood and like a, a family uh, mentality that was there. Most of your friends are people of color or mostly white dudes. All white dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, there the uh, during school. The school was like uh thirty percent black, thirty percent white, thirty percent other, um, and I just didn't initially fit in with the Filipinos. They like formed a clique right away, uh, and I was sitting at uh, a different table at lunch. But then you know those uh, those are guys that I I'm still friends with and still follow on Instagram or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what, were you never close to Filipino community? No, not really. Um, my parents had like Filipinos, they're in a prayer group and it was all Filipinos. So, uh, I knew them and like, you know, uh, but I didn't, 
I remember initially, like, I think in middle school, even I remember thinking I need to stop acting like a stereotype or I don't want to act like a stereotype. Um, like you'd go to the mall and Asians were just hanging out with other Asians at the mall. And I was like, Oh, I need to stop hanging out with Asians. It was like a very, like I made that decision and like in middle school, which is, uh, far too young to think about <laughs> that. Yeah. Type of thing. That's crazy, man. Why were, why were you thinking that way? Like with, because you were ashamed of being Asian. I think so. I think, uh, um, there i mean even to this day there's still a small portion of it that lingers mm. but i think it was also that like i thought that if i stop if i was around people and they saw that i wasn't being a stereotype i it like could let you know white people see that not all asians are the same or whatever mm, yeah i mean i have that too but like I've spoken to so many people and they're saying that, you know, sometimes they just want to act like them and they don't want the pressure of being like the representation of their race or whatever they're from, right? Sure. I don't care. I don't mind it. I like, you know what? I'm taking that pressure. I want to be the best representation of Filipinos. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm like, I don't, and also I'm like, not, I am and am not a representation of Filipinos. Mm-hmm. Like, like I have whatever I don't have, I don't speak Tagalog or any of the languages. Uh, I'm like just learning, you know, that even the Japanese were in charge for a little bit. Like I'm learning history right now and I want to, I want to be more connected to it. Um, but you know, there is a limited amount that I can represent the Philippines because I don't know as much. So for the most part, I'm just some guy who happens to be Filipino. Yeah, which is, it comes with it, automatic, that you are representation. Yeah. Like, if you make it with something, you'll make it. I'm like, that guy is Filipino. He's our people. That's yeah. it, right? I, I noticed that you don't make Filipino accent jokes or stereotypical Filipino stuff. Was that a conscious decision or? I don't think it's a conscious decision. It's just like, I don't find it that funny. Hmm. Um, I've seen, you know, a, I've... I do, we'll say, like, uh, I don't know if you know Rex Navaretti. Yes. Uh, of course, like, he's uh, one of the first comedians that I listened to. Like, he is, like, w isn't my favorite now, but he has an impact on me. And, like, of course, I, like, respect the guy and respect the fa the path that he, like, the fact that I, I'm doing this, has he has an impact on that. Mm -hmm. But it's just not what I think is funny. Like, I think... I think uh, I've also always thought that my audience is white mm. because I think that stand-up comedy is about talking to people that aren't like you and, mm -hmm. and figuring out how to bridge, uh, like bridge humanity just through empathy and through like sh shared emotion. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that Rex Navarrete was one of your uh, influence. How you got into stand-up? You know, so I, uh, I was pretty much raised on cable TV. Uh, you know, my parents were always either working or working. too tired to to raise kids. <laughs> working or working or working. Yeah. So, and also, my parents have a, a 
at the time had a little bit more tougher understanding of the language of English. So the thing that, so I couldn't watch MTV because it was too sexy at the time. <laughs> so, I, so if my parents walked in and I was watching MTV, that was a no go. I would be in trouble. <laughs> but if they walked in and I was watching BET's Comic View, the, uh, the all that they could see was it's a black guy talking, <laughs> and they, and they wouldn't stay stick around long enough to hear that he's like talking about sex or whatever. So it was the most salacious thing that I could watch, and I just got I I got into it. You know, I I started to think that like. I really liked D.L. Hughley when I was a kid. Uh, uh, Chris Rock became a quick uh, like influence. I just was like, that, those guys are cool. That's cool that they can command a room like that with just words and personality. So I was like, I want to figure that out. I mentioned that you were a middle school teacher. Are you still teaching or no? I used to, so I was a middle school like uh, social worker. Mm. Um, and I ran after school programs and everything there. Um, I'm not, uh, I don't work in schools anymore. Um, yeah, just doing stand up and trying to make a, a better living out of all this. Amazing. So stand up is your main gig. You don't have a extra job. I do have a, an extra. I, uh, also work as a mover. A mover. Yes. You're 37, I, dude. Not time for I, moving. I love it. What? I love it. You I love bro i hate moving people but it's so i figured it out i mean you you work uh i first of all i love the guys that i work with hmm. a lot of them are other comedians that are you know uh i that i respect and think are funny um but we just have a great time hanging out on the truck all day and then um it's a team effort moving like the harder i work uh the more i'm looking out for my my coworker the harder he works, the more he's looking out for me. And so it's like, there has to be this mentality where like, we have to look out for each other and we have to work our ass off. Uh, so I love that aspect of it. It's tough. It is. But, um, I think the hardest part is like packing and oh, you do packing like, too. Yeah. But I don't, I usually don't, but I think that's harder than moving, uh, someone. Like, I'd rather just carry the boxes and, and the furniture with my friend who knows how to do it. Dude, I hate moving. And then you have to deal with someone. Like, you have to go left or right. No, this is the right way. This is the wrong way. I'm like, oh, see. and But when you get good at it, because I've been doing this for years with these guys, there's no communication. There's not like, I can feel which way he's he's shifting the couch. And I'm like, oh, I know what he's doing. And then so like, you know, oh, I, we need to flip the couch in or out. Or, you know, like we know. We get it. We know how it works. Yeah, so you're a cool. team. That's that's pretty awesome. But when you have friends that are moving, you guys move them to for free, or you get paid anyway. Um, I will. I offer to move them for free, but they usually give me like a hundred bucks or something. What a legend, man! You're a nice guy, dude. Because I will not even my sister or my brother. I will not move them. Oh yeah, I mean, also my friends are comedians, so they own nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we're all broke <laughs> pretty much right yeah how long have you been doing uh, stand-up um about 12 years 12 years maybe 13 now oh wow wow yeah I started when i was 24 24 what when was that what day was that and what pushed you 
I don't know. So okay, so before I did stand up, I did improv for like five years because I thought it was the same thing. Um, and then I remember I would like open some of my improv shows with like uh these like bits or whatever the fuck they were. I they weren't jokes, but they were some it was like humorous talking. Um and it went well there because those are my friends that went to my improv show. And then I uh, tried to take it to the main comedy club in Seattle and I bombed so hard. <laughs> like <laughs> I couldn't have like done worse. And it was like so traumatic. I was like, you know what? I'm never going to do stand up again. Let's just, I'm okay with improv. And then the theater that I was doing improv at, was uh started doing its own open mic and uh i also had gotten into grad school in chicago and i was like well i'm moving to chicago i should figure out this other trick up my sleeve i thought that's what how easy stand-up was and then i started doing open mics at the theater uh and then from then on i was just like you know fuck improv i'm doing this forever yeah, yeah i don't like improv too i mean improv is the issue with improv is that like 90% of it is awful <laughs> and 10% is great. It's like great and beautiful, but like it's so hard to get to that 10%. Mm -hmm. And also I don't, I didn't care enough to like, I had plateaued in improv. I'm like, usually when I pick up a, a new thing, I can like figure it out pretty well. And I, I get, like I'd give myself like a B minus in everything I pick up like basketball, like improv, whatever. Um, but it wasn't until I did stand up where I was like, I can figure out, I want to figure out how to level up to mm. a higher grade. Also stand up is like, you only need a mic and you, that's it. Yeah. You know, you don't need like a John or Mary to come all Friday or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know that show, uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah, I used to love that show. Bro, that, <laughs> yo, those dudes are masters. Yeah, yeah. The, actually, Ryan Stiles, I think is his name. He's the tall, lanky one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he lived uh, in Bellingham, which is like two and a half hours north of Seattle. Mm. Had his own theater up there. Uh, yeah. That's amazing. I'm a big sign-up comedy fan. Like, bro, I'm like nerd out. Right. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, big, big fan. That's why I was like, I was checking on like, yo, I hope he comes on. Um, and I've heard that like it sometimes it takes time. Time sometimes like usually like ten years till a comedian, a stand up comedian finds his voice. Do you think you have found your voice? Um. Yes and no. Hmm. Because. It's like not really like it. The thing is, uh, the idea of finding your voice on like the way they make it sound on podcasts is like once you're 10 years in, it's all going to click yeah, like no. that. Like, it, uh, I know what I find is funny and I, and I know, uh, how to follow that. Um, I think, and also I think my style is like, uh, unique. Um, so I just follow that like and it's still writing a joke is still a lot of work mm -hmm. um, like that's why when you write you did that 15 minutes which i love all jokes like uh, amazing writing by the way great thank job you. thank you 
But I was like, man, I don't know how long it took him to write those jokes for 15 minutes, and then he posted on YouTube. I'm like, yo. Well, it took. So I had all of those jokes individually, mm-hmm. you know, developed throughout years or whatever. Um, but I spent the last because I got booked for the Don't Tell. I want to say in spring, we taped in October, I think, um, and like i was kind of just like dicking around not really like trying hard uh at shows um and then next thing you know i'm like oh shit it's august i have to get this shit together so i spent every single set trying to refine that and then i was rewriting every moment that like felt like there was a lull um like there's probably like five new jokes in there just because i rewrote it and within that month wow man i i love your style set up punchline set up punchline i love that style just joke writing what made you decide to go to that road of style of comedy you know i like uh well first of all i, I wonder if my because my i feel like I'm, i'm very conversational the way that i write mm-hmm. makes it sound like we're just talking mm-hmm and that was like very big uh at some point like in 2010 there's a lot of like conversational comedians uh patrice o'neill was very conversational there's a uh this guy rory scoville who like uh is not even written that's how conversational he is it's just like he's riffing the whole time and you know dl hughley was one of my first influences so i was like i wanted to be feel like this is natural and not uh like a mitch hedberg rhythm to it um the issue though i think people are audiences are getting dumber (laughs) and uh it, it is social media's fault in to an extent social media is opening up the doors like people are being introduced to stand up at a higher rate now but they're That doesn't mean that they're comedy audiences or that they're fans of uh, of comedy. So when I say the audiences are getting dumber, that uh, impacts me because uh, I don't have a very like, here's the punchline uh, like uh, f- formula to it. Um, you got to really listen when, uh, uh, to me. And I think a lot of people don't know comedy enough or don't listen enough to understand what i'm really doing Mm, yeah does that frustrate you when that happens oh absolutely i wish that i i mean you know but it's also me being like like there's also a bunch of laziness that goes into my career and i'm like blaming i'm actually spending all my time blaming the fact that audiences are dumb because of tiktok (laughs) Like I could figure out how to write jokes that are a little bit more digestible, but, um, but I also, uh, like kind of want to stand my ground and figure out how to just be funny the way that I am, uh, until someone, until like it comes back around. Yeah. I love when you do the pausing, when you, when you're about to deliver something, you'd be like, you pause and then bam. Thank you. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, uh, I'm looking at the YouTube comments, uh, which, by the way, we all see the comments. <laughs> 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 People are like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they think that they're just 
they could just be mean to someone because they're not going to see this. We see it. <laughs> we just don't react because, like, I'm not going to engage with someone whose avatar is an egg, you know. Like, um, but uh, I think a lot of people think that I'm like serious. Like, I I will do shows in in Brooklyn, and people think I'm serious when I'm saying like these things about like my parents, uh, like how I want to deport them. Of course, I don't want to deport them. Of course. The, there's, the irony is that I'm an American because they brought me here. Like, duh. That's that's the huge contradictory statement. Like, it's, That's it, the funny part there. That's that, It's the key. That's the, the juice. Yeah. That's why it's funny because of the con- contrast. Yeah, I, I'm I, like, I don't, I don't understand how you don't get it. But, I mean, I don't know. It's also, I think that there's a... a it's a lot of liberals that don't not to like make this like every other podcast about comedy, <laughs> but liberals are trying to show that they're being empathetic when they could just sit and laugh. Just laugh, dude. Just be like, laugh. What's the problem? You know, it's a comedy show. Yeah. You know, it's not a strip club or I don't know, like a play. It's a comedy show. Yeah. You know, do you think those people walk in? Not expecting what they're gonna see or hear, or they just dumb. I think they don't. I mean, they expect to see something like the person that brought them into comedy. Um, like for like it could be Mark Normand or Hannah Gatsby or Louis C.K. or whoever it is. They expect to see something like that, and that is their standard. And uh someone that uh is a little bit different or unique like i there aren't a lot of asians and there uh, that do stand up like i do it and so I, I think it's hard for them to comprehend what's happening just because i'm asian like i i, I think i do stand up pretty similarly to a bunch of white guys uh but it is something that like they don't know how, what to make of it. They don't know if I'm being like uh, if I'm just hating on Asians because uh, I want to make them the punchline. And I'm like, the truth is, I'm the punchline of every single joke. When I say something awful, it's because I'm being the awful person, not the Asians. That's it. right. Like that's the thing. They just don't see the contrast of the idea that like. No, no, I'm making fun of myself, not the yeah. Asians, you know? I'm acting as a horrible person because I'm the the punchline of this. I yeah. think, and I, that is also perhaps why I don't do the Asian accent. Because mm. I think that makes Asians the the punchline. Um, I remember wa- watching, uh, there's this like Margaret Cho album from years ago. Where she was talking about uh, the one, there's a bit about how she went to a Chinese restaurant, and then the uh, there were the there's this group of white people, and the wait waitress came by, and then she left, and then they started doing her accent, and uh, how and she was like, "That's so awful." And then, but in the joke, she's doing the accent too, and getting laughs off of the accent, and I'm like, "You're just doing what you." were saying was awful uh and so personally 
like I don't want to make whenever whenever I talk about anyone, what uh, whether it's like you know any community of people, it's my fucked up look at them, not that they are bad people. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, that's that's why it's funny. Yeah, you know, like like when Bill Burr talks about you know women and them being awful or whatever. No, it's his ignorance of women what it makes yes. it funny. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love that uh, piece that you, one of the bit that you did, the uh, Asian men and less popular on dating sites. Was that based on real life? That was definitely based on real life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that that stuff that I like, you know, I've been talking about that for a long time on stage um, based on, you know, definitely my own dating experiences. Um, and it's like, there's conversations that I've had with like friends where we'll compare our, you know, bumble matches and it's like my ugly, stupid looking white friend (laughs) (laughs) who just happens to be six feet, six Mm -hmm. feet tall, Mm -hmm. um, is like matching at like getting multiples of more than what I was getting, um, by the way, I'm 5'10", just to be like, I'm not even short. (laughs) (laughs) That's good height. Yeah, <laughs> same. I'm five ten too. Yeah, yeah. That's but a strong Filipino, honestly. Strong man, we all yeah. we're giants. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. Well, I was talking to one of the guest, uh, previous guests, and he's like, you know, I'm, very, I'm like I'm pretty tall. I was like, okay, how? What's your height? Five seven. Like, no, you're not tall. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess it depends on where they're at. Uh, when I go to when I'm around my family, I'm. So much, I'm like a head taller than a lot of my family members. No way. Yeah, like I've got cousins that are like five three. Uh, like I think yeah. So I'm five ten, and then the second highest is like maybe five seven. Okay. Yeah. 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 My my, my I used to be the tallest, but then my nephews start growing like trees. I'm like, yeah. So yeah. they make fun of me, like, yo, Tito, you're you're short now. I'm taller than you. I'm like. Well, you're supposed to be taller than me. Yeah. You're the next generation. Yeah, and we fed you American food. <laughs> exactly. Ate, I ate what? What did I eat? Well, sometimes I don't have food actually. <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Mm, sorry, good. Well, I was just like I remember seeing pictures of like my cousins uh, at like four years old with a bottle of a Coke, uh, like Coca Cola, and I'm like, at least I got nutrients as a child. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Coke is like the biggest thing in the Philippines. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's have you been? I have not. No. Okay. Um, I am hoping to soon. Mm. Where's your family from in the Philippines? Um, Manila area. My my mom's, my dad's from Manila proper. My mom's from Alongapo. Okay. Alongapo. Alongapo is beautiful. Well, it's very Americanized, but it's beautiful. Oh, really? Yeah. Because the, the, that's where was the, uh, the base was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay. So you, if you walk around there, you're gonna see like half white, half black kids. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a lot of them. Dennis Rodman's dad lives in the Philippines in that area. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow, I never would have guessed that. <laughs> yeah, is it Apple the App from yeah, Black Eyed Peas? That's where he's from. Oh, really? Yeah. Ah. That's why when they came out, I was like, oh, of course. Uh, taboo is the Filipino guy. He looks Filipino, and then yeah. I found out Apple the app. The black guy is the Filipino guy. I'm like, yeah. Oh my god. 
Yeah, I think taboo is uh, like native, I think. Yeah, I think it's native Mexican or something. Yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I was so confused when they came out. But yeah, Olongapu is a beautiful city, but again, it's very Americanized. Yeah, the thing is like, I don't have, if I'm going to go, especially for my first time, it's going to be like two to three weeks. Um because I have to, so to like get that amount of time is a lot. It's really hard for me to figure that out. Of course, yeah. And yeah. then obviously with your stand up, it, it's gonna affect your stand up not coming going on stage. Yeah, I bet there might be some places I can perform there. I don't know. Oh, uh, they have a different kind of stand up. What's it like? <laughs> it's like you have to be gay and can sing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You like. My, I mean, I, every time I go home, my parents are just watching TFC the whole day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's like uh, kind of like almost burlesque-ish, but mm. it's just karaoke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you're gay. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's like that. I mean, I'm sure there are some areas. You know what? I have a friend that is a stand-up comedian from Toronto. He performed in the Philippines. So maybe I could ask him out. Mm-hmm. Well, if you want, if you ever want to visit, but I'm pretty sure there's some areas, but again, they're very like, uh, what, like vaudeville style. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're not there yet. You know? Yeah. That's how, uh, I watched a documentary of, uh, these guys going through, uh, Asia. So China and like, I think Singapore or something, they're going through Asia and did a little tour and, um, they were like showing, the local stand-up scene and everyone looked like it was 1977 <laughs> on stage just because like the jokes were constructed like how you would begin like how stand-up began mm. it's not like where stand-up's at no like your style bomb for sure you're gonna bomb <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. you're 100 gonna bomb because yeah first of all they can expect you to sing uh yeah. That's the first thing. Second, they can expect you to be gay. <laughs> yeah, and or to be expressive in any way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and they don't write their own materials. Oh, really? No, they 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 even cut like they. I'm telling you, like the vaudeville time, like you can make a joke and I'll use that joke and no one will get mad. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. You know, so we're still there. We are not at that level of like. I'm going to tell my story. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because I mean, the Philippines is so in love with America. Mm. And stand up is such a quintessential American art form. 100%. That like it feels like they would have figured out how to get into it. I mean, yeah. I, I bet if once a stand up, once stand up comedy becomes a thing there, it's probably going to explode. Yeah, I think I was thinking about this the other day, like the type of humor Filipinos are is we're focused on silliness. Yes. You know, yeah. so if you're not silly on stage, you're not funny for us. Yeah. You and know? that's actually a thing that I'm like trying to, I'm much sillier in my like day-to-day -day life and the way that I like interact with friends or my girlfriend. Um, and that's something that I'm actually trying to figure out how to bring out more on stage. How hard is that? Um, it's hard to figure out with the style that I've like mm -hmm. cultivated throughout these years. Mm -hmm. Um, actually in the taping that 
we did they they did a retake and uh because i i flubbed a line on the joke um and so they're like we want to retake it and i went up there and like couldn't figure out how to get into the joke because like i have to get into the middle of this joke what uh and uh and i was on stage in front of 150 200 people uh just like how do i do and then i but i was just like I already had a good rapport with him and I was just like being silly and until I found out, figured it out. Um, and I was, I had a friend being like, that's the next level is like what you did, uh, and how natural you were then that's the next version of you. Oh, I'm excited to see that. Do you think it's because based on fear that you're so comfortable that this is your style, you don't want to break that comfort and go to the next level i think so i think there's a uh that i'm comfortable with the style but there's also an insecurity in terms of like standing out because mm. if i do stand like there's a lot of people that do stand up and a lot of comedians go wow that guy fucking sucks <laughs> and <laughs> there's a part of me that is afraid to stand out in a way that won't fit into the genre or fit in with my peers i see what you're saying fuck them anyway i know i <clears throat> i need to and honestly that's just something that i'm holding in my head i know that if i take myself to the point where I, i'm natural in myself up, up there even more so than i am now then it's just gonna like i know my peers are gonna uh, like be fine. They're not going to say they're like, wow, Wilfred sucks. Cause he's more comfortable or whatever. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, I guess, I guess the great example is Jim Carrey. When he started stand up, he was actually a stand up. He tells jokes and whatnot. And then yeah. he started like making these characters and, you know, talking with his butt and whatnot. And yeah. apparently he bombed for years. <laughs> Can you imagine bombing like, uh, while, uh, like doing a soliloquy out of your ass. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, first of all, I wish I'd never feel bombing because, I mean, yes, I have performed when I was younger. Being Filipino, you have to perform in front of your family, yeah. but not like how, what you do, man. I'm, how would you describe the feeling of bombing? I mean, now it doesn't feel like anything as much. Uh, uh, it's one thing, bombing in front of your family Completely different experience. <laughs> Dude, you because, always bomb in front of your family. You never, ever make it. You never kill in front of your family. Yeah, no, no. That, that's a, that's also a different experience because you have to... Those people know you after that. <laughs> you know, the, when I bomb at a show, hmm. I don't exist to them anymore. Mm. I stop being like any... It's uncomfortable and like... Usually I like, you know, I'll address it and, and oh, that's a good style. Sometimes I get angry because I'm like, do you really, what do you say? I think because it's mostly just addressing the fact that they are refusing to enjoy themselves. They can't, they came to this, this place and there's a social contract. You come here to have a good time. I come here to try to provide that for you. I'm clearly trying to provide that for you, but you're not letting it happen. Um, so there's a part of that that, like, I understand that uh, I've been doing this so long that I understand that uh, I'm at least trying to do my end of it. And if I bomb, 
it's okay because they didn't remember my name. They don't know, like, within an hour and a half, they won't remember what I look like. Uh, so I've become anonymous again. Mm, yeah, I see. I see that. I don't know, dude. I remember, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was new here, a friend of mine was like having this like variety show and he was the host and I was like, yo, let me write stand up for you, like stand up bits and whatnot, which I did. He never did it, but he was forcing me to come on the stage. I'm like, yo, I don't think I have the balls. Oh, I mean, I when I started this whole like dream of being uh, in comedy, I didn't have the balls either. I was like, oh, I wanted to. I knew that uh, Paul Mooney wrote for Richard Pryor. Mm. And I was like, oh, you can write for a comedian? L- I'll do that. Which, like, that's not how things work anymore. You can write <laughs> for some. There's maybe like four or five that have writers. I think Chris Rock has. So Chris Rock and like Chappelle, for example, he they have, they will, the ideas and everything comes from them, but they have like a team of people that they trust to help guide because they have to produce an hour special at such a fast rate that they'll have a team that'll like help get them to the joke faster. Mm, Okay. What do you think about that? What's your opinion about that? I mean, I do it with my friends too. We, we like meet up to write together. We, uh, we, when I'm on the phone with my friends, we're talking and then I, and then something funny comes up and then we go, Oh, that might be a bit. You should try that out. Oh, they're giving you a tag. Yeah, or just like an idea of like that moment in that we just had in life is worth talking about on stage. Mm-hmm. Do you have a joke that you've been trying for years and still not working, but you refuse to let go? Um, like every joke I wrote during the pandemic is really offensive, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it. I still think they're funny, but I, I don't do them anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I have jokes about like the George Floyd uh, time and like how um, I have this one. So this is uh, this definitely didn't work with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it worked on Zoom for some reason. I think it was because people were more comfortable laughing on Zoom um, because they are behind their behind uh like a screen where on in person people still have to like this energy yeah they're like if i laugh at that then i'm a bad person and people are seeing that i'm laughing or whatever but it was this one um i'm trying to think how it goes like during the george floyd time there uh people were reaching out to their black friends and talking about uh, talking about race and whatnot. And then, so I'm from Seattle where there's a lot of white people and a lot of people that like would talk to me and be like, I wish I had a black friend that I could talk to in this time. Cause they wanted the liberals. They want to learn and open their minds and whatnot. And I was like, look, if you want to get a black person to talk, all you got to do is put on a movie that you really want to see. And they'll talk right through that. <laughs> that is good, dude. It's a jo- it's a good joke. It's a it quality joke. joke. It is, um, but it doesn't. It really. I mean the the way that it uh, it just like isn't something that people want to at laugh that moment, at. I guess. Yeah. And then now, if you use it, it's kind of dated because of George Floyd. 
Yeah. And I mean, but, you can, I, I can figure out how to like, yeah, recontextualize can, it, but it's always a black guy that's getting killed by police anyway. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's so horrible, but it's true, you know, like not here in Canada, not much of that. We don't have that. There are yeah. racism. There is racism here. Sure. But, but not, this is like more native. Yeah. Like the rest of Canada, yes, the native in Quebec, where I'm at, is like, who was that has the joke? I think it's um, Robin Williams. He said that that in Quebec, you don't get judged by the scholar of your skin, but they wait for you to speak, then they judge you. Oh, okay. Something so like, like that. Like, like cause, because of the English and the French. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where the the fiction's from. Like, Who has the upper hand, the French or the... The French. Oh, okay. Yeah, the French. It's um, because it, the the thing was like the English found Canada. Wait, no, the French found Canada, uh, Quebec, uh-huh. and then the English came, and then the English like screw this, I'm done with this, we cannot do anything else. They bounce, and then the French people start making babies. Yeah, and they became the majority, and then they took over. Ah, uh, okay. You know, they just got lazy. The English is like they just got lazy. That's why French. Yeah, and but French now, is. Yeah. A- France is a very, they have a, their culture is very sure of themselves. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, they're like, this is who we are. We're not changing. You have to change for us. Yeah. And that's the problem with Quebec is like, we're trying to be friends, Uh but we're not. Yeah. You know, like, like I used to work at the airport, dude, and there's some Parisian that will come and speak French to like Quebecois. Dude. Most of them are so rude to them. Like, what kind of French do you speak? This is not French. Where did you learn? I'm like, yo. It's nice to know that every country fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, 100%. Like, I always say, I love Canada. I do. But it's not like, it's not perfect, you know? There's no country that is perfect, you know? There's countries that are closer than, definitely closer than America. Uh, like, I mean, I think you guys are a step closer in that at least you're paying for your, your medical bills. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's um, one thing. Like, like that. Like, people was like, oh, you know, Canada sucks. This and that or whatever. I'm like, uh, healthcare. Yeah. Oh, but you have to wait 13 hours. Well, in America, you still have to wait. And guess what? You have to pay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, you're. I'm still waiting around, you know. I actually sprained my groin, like, uh, or like, it was, I think I'd like pulled a muscle in my groin, Doing picking what? up furniture. That's... Oh my! Uh, and uh, my girlfriend was like, "You got to see a doctor." I'm like, "I don't have insurance." <laughs> like, I mean, I do have insurance. And I'm on uh, the uh, Medicare, mm. um, but the clinic is a fucking dump. Really? Yeah, I feel. That is the one time where I feel really in poverty <laughs> when I have to wait, sit in the waiting room with everyone else in like uh, from the hood mm. that is also waiting there for, with me. You're like, I don't belong here. I know. Yeah. It's like, I got to get my life together. That's when I, <laughs> that's the one time I'm like reminded, hey, we should probably start writing that script. <laughs> 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 we should start pitching in, build a build a troop again. Maybe we can submit a tape for SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, just uh, quit living and like following your dreams and become an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> but 
were you trying to be an accountant when the no i wanted to be uh i wanted to be a, a teacher for a little bit and then um figure out work in education until and then eventually the stand-up thing took over yeah the disease <laughs> the yeah. virus of stand-up yeah. man that's awesome man who was the most famous and funniest comedian you followed um that i've followed yeah you're in new york there's a lot of them there oh yeah yeah i i mean recently uh i follow ralph barbosa uh uh and the whole crowd was there to see him <laughs> um and it was so actually i didn't follow ralph it was one person and then me but mm. the person between us had just like a five minute set okay and she could not get anything out of them oh. and then i went up and i was like i get it you came to see ralph and that's already done but you're still at a show and then like i uh and then eventually they loosened up and started to listen to me um tim dylan was a, a tough follow holy crap you followed him yeah i bombed, bombed <laughs> Tim Dillon. uh um that was probably the biggest, toughest follow that I've had. That um, energy and then your style? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's this guy, uh, I got, I have to shout him out. And like, he's not even like a, a close friend, but he's just a guy that I really respect. His name's Mike Britt. He's maybe the best comedian alive. <laughs> like his in-person show is so like hilarious and brilliant. I was... Uh, I was at New York Comedy Club. There's a showroom in between the showroom. Like there's like a, a little hallway with two doors, the bar. And then on the other side of the bar is the bathroom. I was in the bathroom uh, taking a piss because I knew I was on next. And I hear just like this crazy applause. And I to the point where I thought like, oh, he just got off stage. I have to force the shit out and run into the room. And I go into the room and it's just, he's just, he had just told a great joke. He's just killing. He's just killing that hard. Oh uh, my God. Like, and it's just the way that he does it. It's like, so he has every single skill that a comedian could have. I'm going to check that out. Matt Britt. I Mike, love new comedians. Yeah. Mike or Matt? Mike. M-I-K-E-B-R-I-T-T. -E okay. I think it, he has a special on YouTube. Mm, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. Yo, bro, I think we're there. Before we close out, do you have any last remark or anything else that you want to say? I mean, I just want, uh, thanks for having me uh, on. You know, I appreciate the, it's also nice to, I haven't talked to a Filipino in like weeks. <laughs> <laughs> You're in New York. Yeah, but they're not, I'm in Brooklyn, so they're not around. Uh, but it's like, it, it actually like was, I forget that like there's this natural because of culture because of like you know like you know things that I know <laughs> like we just get it and so it's nice to to get to talk to another Filipino oh for sure man I mean again I didn't even I wasn't expecting you saying yes I'm like yo I'm gonna reach out anyway yeah I mean look you got me in a week where I said yes to so much shit <laughs> <laughs> but this one was actually fun to do so. oh I appreciate that again if you want to promote anything, let the audience know. Yeah, just follow me on uh, on everything. Uh, it's Wilfred Padua. 
um on everything one word and definitely uh if the one thing that's most important to me is follow me on youtube because the podcast is going to be coming out in january all right for sure i'm going to promote that too again wilfred thank you so much for coming to the podcast i really appreciate it thank you for having me have a good thing all right thanks bye again wilfred thank you for coming on the podcast i really do appreciate it thank you listeners for listening this is Aaron Deliosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.